Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about Steven Spielberg. Longtime listeners of the show will remember the Steven Spielberg movies we've talked about. We talked about Catch Me If You Can a couple of years ago. We talked about The Fablemans earlier this year. That was uh, part of, I believe, season four is what we're in. The Fablemans would have been part of that. And now... We're going to get started on talking about a few of his other things. Pierre and I both have some blind spots, and we're going to fix that. So, first off, today we are going to talk about the movie that really gave Steven Spielberg his start. Yes, he was working before this. This wasn't technically his breakout, but it was the one that really put Spielberg on the map and, you know, made him really established Spielberg as one of the greatest living directors of the time and of right now. And, you know, one could potentially say of all time. That movie is Jaws. We're going to talk about a shark movie. Last week we talked about a shark movie. This time, this week we're going to talk about the shark movie. So, this is Jaws. This is a movie that is about 50 years old. So, there are we're, we're not as careful with spoilers in this one as we might be for, like, an Ant-Man movie. But uh, we actually do make a conscious effort to not get into spoilers without a warning. So, there is a spoiler warning. I think there are no real spoilers before that, if that is a concern. But uh, this movie is 50 years old. So, um, we are not as careful as potentially we could have been. I guess my apologies for that, but I was I am I'm, I'm very happy with how this episode turned out though, so I hope you will enjoy. We've got a lot to say about Jaws, we've got a lot to say about filmmaking, we got a lot to say about Spielberg. I think that this particular adventure that Pierre and I just went on really uh, helped to um, foster our appreciation for Spielberg and John Williams. Which, I won't spoil our ratings either, but I feel like that probably has given you a pretty good idea of what to expect. Coming up, you're going to hear a bit of John Williams' iconic score for the shark movie. Jaws. Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about classic movies. Uh, Pierre, what's your favorite Steven Spielberg movie? Um, oh, damn, that's a good question. Get, come back to me. I gotta look up Steven Spielberg. 
how do you not have like a working knowledge of all Steven Spielberg's movies? I like know a lot of them. I just I I'd be I'd be hesitant to name my favorite without actually like going through it and making I, sure I'm not missing fair. something I really like. I guess it's it's probably between um Catch Me If You Can and I wanna say Temple of Doom <laughs> and Maybe Jurassic Park. Yeah. All right. Those are three three good choices. I got to say, like, most of the people I talk to, when it comes up, it doesn't always come up, but when it comes up, like, most of the people I talk to don't rate Temple of Doom, like, super, super high. But uh, to me, that's always been my favorite Indiana Jones. Um, I haven't... I also haven't seen it since I was very small, though. I know that uh, it's it's... Also, like, widely known as the most problematic of the Indiana Jones movies. So, like, you know, I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm sure that if I watched it now, uh, that would at least be more apparent to me. I don't know if it would influence my my opinion of the movie. I guess we'll see. But I always liked a lot of the uh, a lot of the aspects of that, like the fact that it was so flagrantly different from every other Indiana Jones movie always appealed to me. Yeah, I, I I think it's uh, I mean I, I rewatched the five of them after watching well, the fifth one, and <clears throat> I think I think Temple of Doom is the one that feels. I, I wish they went more in that direction of like, just like oh here's another random Indiana Jones adventure, you know like it felt like I, I think Raiders Raiders might be better, um, but uh, I feel like Raiders and Crusade. Are, are a little too similar for my, my tastes. Um, with the only the only caveat being that Sean Connery's in it uh, in the third one, but I think that's when... I think uh, it kind of ruins the, the mystique of Indiana Jones a bit to see his dad. Um, I think it worked better as a last movie back then because it's like you get a glimpse of his personal life in the last movie, right? Mm-hmm. But at this point, I feel like we have more <laughs> farewell Indiana Jones movies than we have regular Indiana Jones movies. So it just feels like Temple of Doom is like the only one that really was like, here's another Indiana Jones adventure. And he's like in the middle of this random thing. And it's exciting. Yeah. So like Temple of Doom to me is exactly what I want out of Indiana Jones. And realistically, like Raiders of the Lost Ark is also that Raiders of the Lost Ark is just weirdly brought down by the fact that everything else after Temple of Doom vaguely connects to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, Temple of Doom is such a sidestep. Nothing about it carries over to the next movie or connects to the first movie at all. So it's like a full bottle episode. And to me, the thing that's most appealing about Indiana Jones is, like, the idea that there's uh, that the only consistent element is the adventurer, but the adventure itself is always so wildly different that like they may as well not be the same story. The only reason that like Temple of Doom is a cool adventure in I think in Temple of Doom it's in India, where Raiders of the Lost Ark is a cool adventure in like Europe and like yeah. a, th- a a potential third movie. I mean, Last Crusade is very good. But a potential third movie could have been a potent, like a cool adventure in 
I don't know, Southern Africa or Australia or something. It could have been something completely different. And I think that that would have been a really cool series of movies. Not that any of the Indiana Jones, at least of the first three, maybe four, are bad, but like, that's why I said maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think part of the, the issue is that Spielberg isn't a franchise. He doesn't want to be tied down to a franchise for too long, I think. Um, obviously because he's, he's, he's a master, he's a master peacemaker. He's made, I want to say like over 20, definitely over 20 movies, but it's almost probably almost 30 at this point. I think it's over 30. I could be wrong. <clears throat> I would not be surprised if it's over 30 either. Um, so I'm, I'm honestly surprised he stuck around as long as he did in India. I think that's the longest, that's the most, that's a, that's the only franchise he's really been a part of for more than a movie other than Jurassic Park. But after watching Jurassic Park 2, I don't know if he really stuck around <laughs> for, I for mean, Jurassic Park, you know? He's been, like, a producer on all of the movies of his that have become <laughs> series. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, producer. yeah. And it definitely does seem like the even the ones where he's, like, the ones where he's executive producer, but that may or may not mean much, like... At the very least, he's given interviews that imply that he's around. He's paying attention. Because, like, even on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, he gave interviews about that and, like, talked it up a lot, despite not being directly involved with the filmmaking in any obvious, tangible way. Because he's not the director. He wasn't, like, specifically involved in most of the production. At least, I don't know how he would have been. Like, I think he was just an executive producer, but he's at least, like, he's at least talking to James Mangold at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think he does have a sort of vested interest in it, but also, I think at this point, he's just so busy. Like, I feel like he was probably directing two movies at the same time while Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny was being made, so I I don't know how much actual uh, input he had, but um, All right. on, on the movie we're talking about today, though... He had tons of input because this is the third movie he ever made, I want to say. Technically, it's the fifth in his filmography. It's technically the fourth he directed if we only count feature-length movies. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, he did the the story of this one. Um, Yeah, we're talking about uh, Jaws today, which is exciting because... I've never seen Jaws before. I actually thought that Jaws was his debut. Uh, It clearly was not, but it was... It's basically the movie that put him on the map. Yeah, it made... I'd say it made Steven Spielberg... Steven Spielberg... The Steven Spielberg that we know today, if that makes sense. According Um, to... According to Wikipedia, this was his second movie that actually aired in theaters. Yeah. Or, like, screened in theaters. And it is the movie that, uh, all, according to legend, created the term blockbuster because people were lining up around the block to see Jaws when it came out. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to imagine like a world without block. Like, how is there not blockbuster movies? But like, uh, I don't know. Is it, yeah, it's really cool that Steven Spielberg. You know, he's he's someone that's still going now. I, I feel like there's so many like cool things that 
we don't really know about. Um, I, I just think the environment of the seventies when when Spielberg and Lucas were were there, and I think I want to say Coppola was kind of in there too. Yeah, um, he definitely it was, just, was. It was. It, it seems like a very exciting time for filmmaking because that's when it 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 seems like it started to become a little more accessible for people to uh, like learn. I think like you know there were film schools at that point and you know and then you got steve steven spielberg creating the blockbuster movie and then two years later you have star wars come out which beat jaws like right after to be the the greatest the biggest movie of all time and uh it was just like it just it just seems like an exciting time i don't know and so like i don't know if it was the biggest movie of all time so two years after jaws star wars came out two years after star wars Again, I don't know. I don't think it was like a blockbuster in the same sense. Apocalypse Now came out, which like we reviewed on the show. This is like one of the best movies I've ever seen. So it was, it was a good, it was a good couple of years for like extremely classic movies. Yeah, but also like I think the behind the scenes for all these movies are just insane too. Um, I mean, every there's so many so many stories about Star Wars, and then we had an entire episode about <laughs> the behind the scenes of Apocalypse. Now, it's um, and also it's telling. We haven't talked about it at length yet because we've never talked about Jaws at length. But there are two separate plays that premiered in the last five years about the behind the scenes of Jaws. There's one that came to Toronto last year that unfortunately I wasn't able to see called The Shark is Broken, which is a three-person play specifically about a time during the behind the scenes when the shark for Jaws that plays the shark in the movie was broken. So like the three main actors are just hanging out on a boat for a couple of days. And then that same event was adapted as a musical that premiered in Seattle like three years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. That was sick. I, I can't even imagine a musical. <laughs> That'd be interesting. A musical about a broken animatronic that features yeah. Steven Spielberg as a character. That's kind of beautiful, too, though. I don't know. Yeah. Like, imagine being such a big director that the <laughs> broken thing from one of your movies gets its own play. Yeah. I, it, it, not even just one. Two of them. Two of them, yeah. There's a lot of it behind this. Not drama, but I'd say... Uh, a lot of complications. It was a supposed to be a fifty-five day shoot. It turned into a hundred and fifty days, oh, which is just goodness. insane to me. It's like you know, almost half a year. Uh, people were saying the crew apparently was calling the movie flaws, like as a as a joke, because nothing worked at the on the movie. And uh, yeah, I don't. And it's it's. I mean, for being Spielberg's first, like I'd say, like big budget movie at the time, like that was probably a lot of stress on him, you know. And oh, it's yeah. pretty crazy that he was able to make it work despite all these obstacles. Like, part of me definitely... I, I know there's the famous story of Spielberg resenting the fact that he wasn't nominated for an Oscar for Best Director here. And, like, I've always thought of that a little bit as, like, yeah, of course, he's so entitled. He wants his first movie to get a Best Director credit. But, like... I get it, actually. Like, after all the stuff that he went through on Jaws, the fact that he then didn't get nominated, at least, for mm-hmm. Best Director at the Oscars, I, I, I understand. Yeah, I feel, I feel like you, 
have to be an amazing director to pull together that mess. <laughs> it sounds like there was a lot of things out of his control that he really had to hone in on. And I think it would have been very easy in like any other director's shoes for this to be an absolutely terrible movie. Um, that's not to say that I, I don't really know the climate at the time. So like, I don't so know. The person, if... the person who did win best director was Milos Forman who mm-hmm. is also a legendary director and had at that year and had that year released one flew over the cuckoo, cuckoo's nest, which is like his biggest movie, arguably like arguably his biggest movie. The only competition for it really is Amadeus. I don't know. I hope that they talked and get along at some point, but like, I'm sure he also did an incredible job with that movie. I haven't seen that movie yet, uh, but like, I've he's, heard of it. He's, he's on his level. Like, he's on Spielberg's level, for sure. Yeah. I mean, also, like, it, it's a, it was a blockbuster. Like, I, again, I don't know, like, if blockbusters were kind of frowned upon at the Academy, but it's a very, like, cheesy, like... And I'm not saying this in a bad way, but this isn't, like, an Oscar bait-type movie. Like, this is... This is that raunchy, summer, gory, fun action shit. <laughs> I it's, feel like the Academy the, never actually likes. It's the kind of movie where when we talked about Star Wars, I was like, I don't know if I said it on, on the episode, but like when we talked about Star Wars, I first off was not surprised that it won the Oscars it did, but also like it was one of those where... Um, that you point to to be like, no, 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 popular movies have always won Oscars. And like, this is another one of those. Like, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it best, but like, this, you, you're right. This is like a big crowd pleasing movie, and it's really good at that. And in addition to being a big crowd pleasing movie, it's also very good, but it's like, um, it's not, uh, it's not deep in the ways you would expect for an Oscar movie, typically, when you think of, like, typical Oscar bait movies. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of moments that are played for the... Uh, it, it's, like, it's a fun... Like, it's, it's there's horror elements to it, but it, it really tries to be a, a fun movie first, I'd say, mm-hmm. um, with horror elements. And... I, I think that's what really makes the movie work because I, I think it would have been impossible to use that shark model and actually pe- have people scared the whole time. You know, it, it worked because there were moments of sh- of shock uh, interspersed with lots of fun moments, lots of good character moments, lots of very corny, cheesy moments. So that's why, like, the shark moments really stuck out, you know, when something really bad happened. Mm-hmm. Um I'd say it's kind of similar to apparently Spielberg didn't want anyone wearing red on set or like uh, on camera because so that the blood, when, when you do see blood, it, it really does stick out to you and it does make oh, you yeah. feel weird. And I, I'd say it's kind of the same concept here where uh, you, you really want to keep those horror elements minimal. Um, but in, in the meantime, yeah, you do have those sheets. Like the, I mean, the first scene is literally like two drunk teenagers and then you kind of get almost like a nudie scene <laughs> of like one of them, but like a death scene, you know. And it kind of reminds me of uh, the Piranha. I mean, the Piranha movies are very obviously inspired by Jaws, like extremely heavily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember when I was 
growing up, those movies were basically advertised as like see attractive women and then also see people die. <laughs> like that was the movie, right? And I feel like Jaws obviously that was a very small part of the movie. That was just the intro, but that is like a very that felt like a very corny element that really brought the fans in, you know, because that was like just that's like a crazy moment to see. But you know, that's not I'm not I'm not expecting these Oscar critics to go to the movies and they're like analyzing like this girl <laughs> like dying on the beach while she's drunk. Like that didn't feel Although like I gotta a... say, we gotta think back. This was nineteen seventy five. I'm not gonna say teen beach movie style movies and like oh, teen beach horror didn't exist at the time. I assume it didn't exist nearly to the degree it did today, but like that's just because there were fewer movies back then. But, like, a lot of what that reminds me of, like, teens go to the beach and get killed. Like, a lot of what that reminds me of is movies that are, like, horror movies from the late 70s and early 80s. Like, I think that um, it's easy for us to look back on those and say it's really corny and cheesy. Because it is. But also, like, a part of the reason we think these are, like, corny and cheesy moments are because they've been is because these are actually the moments that inspired so much of the horror of the 70s and 80s that we're now used to. Like, I mean, I feel like it would be a very strange thing to say that Jaws was a huge influence on Nightmare on Elm Street, for example. But, like, I'll bet it was at least a pretty decent indirect influence on Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like Friday the 13th and those kind of movies, even though this is, you know, vacationers on a beach, not people at a summer camp. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you could say that. I, I wonder if that's actually a question. Like, can something be corny if it's never been done before? If that makes sense. Right. Which, like, like, we're, I, we're I people would say like, yes, but like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if that's true. Cause I, I guess you could compare like even, like the the beach horror thing, maybe that's what Jaws invented, and like that horror concept in general. But like, if you look back, like you could argue that like it was maybe inspired by Psycho, where you know Psycho was the first scene, was the first movie where you had like kind of like a I wouldn't say a nude. She wasn't. She was. She was not. Wasn't nude on screen, but, but she was neuter than anyone that. had ever been on screen by that exactly. Point. And she was murdered. <laughs> so it was very gory. And that was that was a very big, uh, that was a very assertive scene, if that makes sense at the time. That mm-hmm. no one would dare, would have dared do other than, oh God, it's, it's Hitchcock. Or Hitchcock did that, right? Hitchcock did Psycho, okay. yeah. I always confuse Hitchcock and like Kubrick movies. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say like maybe there are elements there that were taken from other movies probably. But so yeah, I, I don't know if that was corny at the time. But yeah, I don't know. I actually would say like uh, one thing too is the, I don't know much of the score for Psycho, but I will, I definitely remember that like the shower scene from Psycho is, has like a score that is shocking and abrupt in the exact same way as a lot of the Jaws score tries to be most of the time. Uh, So like, I would not be surprised for to hear that Psycho was an influence on this movie, even though, again, very different movies. But there's like, I mean, the score is actually relatively similar in specific key instances. Yeah, I, 
I, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's part of, that's honestly part of what makes them both so iconic is that music. Like I can mm-hmm. literally hear it in my head. I haven't seen Psycho in like 10 years, but I've only, and I've only seen it once, but I know, I know the music. Maybe it's because it's been spoofed so many times and different things, but and it's the same thing with Jaws. I've never seen Jaws, but I know the music of Jaws. Everyone knows the music of Jaws. When uh, I was in high school band, Jaws was one of the songs that we always played. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's a it's a classic. Uh, I, I I mean I can't believe. I mean it's so weird to think that like Steven Spielberg and John Williams worked together so early in their careers. Um, and you know they both went on to have make some of the best movies of all time. I don't. Know, it's just mm-hmm. it's just really trippy to think about, but. Yeah, and I, I think that's what makes this movie work too. Is that like, despite all the complications with the shark, you don't really need to see the shark that much, because the music is kind of the shark in a way. It announces like, the presence of the shark, and you you kind of get the POV sometimes of that music with the shark. You're you're no, you're in the POV of the shark, and that music is playing. Frankly, like when the shark came on screen, it was almost disappointing just because I didn't need to see the shark. Like, the shark is terrifying enough without being on screen that, like, when it actually is on screen, it's like, oh, that's it? And, like, (laughs) it, which is weird because it's a big imposing shark. Like, they put a lot of effort into making this shark actually terrifying when it's shown. But, like, it's so much more terrifying when you can't see it. Yeah. I, I was actually surprised how much they ended up showing it. Because I've heard so many stories about how they really had to keep... The, what made the movie work, coincidentally, but then also what... they Like, they needed to keep the shark appearances to a minimum because they couldn't get the shark animatronics to work properly at all. But they, you actually the do plays see are it. About. You do see it a decent amount. And... At the time, I think it's just tough because, like, now when I see a shark, it's like, like, I just saw the Meg. We just saw the Meg last week, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the shark in the Meg is, like, 20 times bigger than the one in Jaws. But also, this is, I guess, more of a realistic movie, too, right? Like, they're on, they're on a creaky, dingy boat. Um, it wouldn't take much to take, to tear that boat down for, for a yeah. shark. Um, so, it kind of balances out. I, I do think the animatronic did look not convincing in a lot of moments but i i do think they made it work overall there was that that one scene where at the climax where uh i mean i don't or we're just gonna do spoilers right i mean it's like 50 years old i'm sorry it's, like yeah it's, a, it's almost that, 50 but. years old I, I i think like yeah you know what go ahead there's there's spoilers I'll here's just, a spoiler I'll just warning say someone dies i'll say okay, someone cool. dies and it's a very graphic death and that, that actually shocked me. And they, I thought that was done really well because I think the, I, I, I think the, that you bonded with the characters and that the, the, the death was actually pretty brutal. Um, kind of lessened the impact of the shark looking bad, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it almost made it look kind of scarier in a like a this is like a killing machine and that was like it looked like a literal machine <laughs> but like yeah. symbolically i think there was something there you know i think well, it would have been like, a, a lot worse if that shark was moving around and then it like grabbed him like in a you could cg a shark now 
and the shark would just like like jump on and just like it'd be a really quick scene right but because the animatronic couldn't really move it was basically the shark was opening and closing its mouth but the guy was kind of slowly sliding into the shark's mouth at the time Mm -hmm. and in a way that that's kind of more brutal to see you know it's just like this impending doom slowly uh creeping on this guy and uh I think that actually made the scene work a lot better than, you know, how a modern blockbuster would do it. I think it really helps that, like, I mean, you've basically said this, but just to sort of add on to it, I think it really helps how the animatronic just looks cold and, like, heartless. And, you know, in the context of the movie, we're supposed to believe that the shark is, you know, essentially pure evil, if he's anything at all. And so when you see that shark tear someone apart and not even look like it gives a shit, it feels a lot more impactful than if, you know, it was a CGI shark that's moving around realistically. Like Mm -hmm. the realism could work there, but the, the fact that this shark actually doesn't look that realistic or like looks just realistic enough that you can like sort of, uh, suspend your disbelief for a bit actually enhances that a hell of a lot because it makes the shark look even less alive, which is sort of which sort of enhances that whole heartless, like cold feeling that that shark is supposed to give you. Yeah, yeah, I I, I thought that scene was really well done. Um, Before I, I think- we go into more spoilers though. Do you want to briefly summarize what Jaws is about? <laughs> Just, sure. I feel like at this point, like most people are probably going to know Jaws. Most people stumbling across this episode have probably seen Jaws, but just in case we should briefly summarize the movie so that we can give a proper spoiler warning afterwards. And then sure. like, yeah. And then go into it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah so it, basically it's, uh, we're at a beach town called Amity Island, and you have the police chief, whose name is uh, Chief Martin Brody. Um, I kept forgetting his name, honestly. I just yeah, I, I thought of him as Chief. I don't know anyone's names in this movie, I'm not going to lie. But um, he, he essentially discovers a, a death on the beach, and it looks like a shark attack. And the mayor is like, no, it's not a shark attack. Uh, because he basically wants the money to come in because this beach town needs the summer money to survive, essentially. So mm-hmm. any any amount of period where they are telling people to stay away is really bad for business. So they keep the beach open, and mean, in the meantime, um, more sharks attack happen. So eventually the chief must take it into his own hands, and he hires a... Uh, a well, I guess I don't know if he hires a marine biologist, but a marine biologist comes comes along, and he hires uh, Quint. I don't think he has a first name, or maybe that is his first name. Um, who is a professional shark hunter to mm-hmm. hunt down this this great white shark with the help of the marine biologist Matt Hooper, I think, and the three of them kind of go on this quest to down a shark that sounds so cheesy but i like i loved i loved it like that that aspect of it it sounds cheesy but it really works it's played very straight but like not 
overly self-serious, I guess. Like, at no point is this a comedy movie, but it's got, like, Steven Spielberg's, like, what would become his signature, like, light touches to keep it from ever being, like, super grim. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, like, the aspect of the adventure of hunting down that shark really made the movie work compared to a lot of other kind of, like, disaster movies where I feel like it's just, like, like, I, I honestly expected, like, them to be on the beach and then, like, they are just kind of slowly attacked and then eventually they're, like, they get the shark on the beach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this was just cool. I, the aspect of the adventure, and I think, again, Spielberg's very great at that, of, like, just three people going out into the middle of the ocean to hunt down a shark. It kind of, it kind of, it's kind of reminiscent of, like, um, obviously these aren't kids, but, like, Spielberg's great at, like, you know, portraying a bunch of kids getting together to take down a greater threat, right? Um, and there's this kind of, especially, I think it's enhanced when it's kids, this ad, this aspect of adventure and imagination. Uh, but Spielberg's able to catch that with a bunch of, you know, middle-aged, out-of-shape old men <laughs> in the middle of the water, too. And I think that, that makes it work even better because it just it gives a, a certain magic to the movie. And I think that's what really makes it stick out from... Like I said, so many other like natural disaster movies, or like even like you know, like we just watched The Meg, right? Yeah, there's a lot of similar aspects in in concept, but it's missing that the magic of adventure, if that makes sense. That's just it's a lot of these movies is just like, oh, we need to survive the shark, and that's essentially the only the theme of the movie. But this was like we're going out on an adventure together, which I like. Yeah, a big difference, like, a a difference between The Meg and this is, like, with The Meg, it felt too long. Like, in two hours, it felt like it was longer than that because, you know, I would look at the screen and go, is this still going on? But this movie also felt way longer than the two hours that it was. But that's because they, but that's because Steven Spielberg manages to fit so much inside those two hours that, like, at the beginning of the movie, it feels like you're watching one kind of a movie. And at the end, it feels like you're watching a completely different kind of movie. And along the way, you've gotten there naturally, and it's been captivating the whole time. Yeah. Like, I, this movie feels like a full epic adventure, where the Meg feels like a bunch of build-up and then a shark attack. And all the shark, like, there's just the right amount of shark attacks. Like, there wasn't, like, just people dying and then nothing happens. It was, like, someone dies and then, you know, there's a conflict with the mayor. Because I'd say, like, the mayor is basically, like, the villain of the first half of the movie, Mm -hmm. you know? Where he's the only thing really... Like, the the shark's not really an issue if they keep people back and then they give them the authorities time to hunt down the shark, right? Yeah. But he makes it a problem, you know, and he's making people die, essentially. Um, and it's, like, in an understandable, like, he's an interesting character because, like, you kind of get where he's coming from where it's, like, yeah, someone might die, but also, like, like a lot of people's livelihoods rely on, on the money of people coming in. I'm not saying it's right, but, like, he has a motivation and it makes sense, right? It's not just greed. Yeah. I mean, a large part of it is greed, but it's also, like, he's, he's a mayor. He has to look out for the town. Um, Mm -hmm. so that conflict, that conflict makes it interesting for the first half. And then once you get into the main, the main shark hunt, uh, I think that's when the movie really comes alive too, because you get the pairing of those three, the three characters 
And I actually thought, I thought the chemistry was just insane between them. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they don't really have that much time together, but those three on the boat, like all the, the, just the different um, variations of the way they interact was really fun to watch. And that's, that's obviously what make the movie makes the movie work on a whole nother level compared to the first half of that makes sense because you have that, that chemistry, um, and you have like I mean it's it's a lot scarier in my opinion to be out in the middle of the water in like this old dinghy boat <laughs> compared to like uh you know being on the beach right mm-hmm. so uh yeah and you know I I think that's another way Spielberg really made the movie work is that there's a lot of heart in those scenes there's that one scene where the shark hunter's talking about uh how he's uh how he became a shark hunter essentially and it's a really dark scene you know. But, yeah, the the famous USS Indianapolis uh, monologue. I had to go back and rewatch that because, like, I watched it the first time and it was haunting enough, but, like, it was coming out of my TV, which has, like, not fantastic sound. So I didn't yeah. catch most of it. I went back and watched it and it's, like, it's it's a lot. I don't know yeah. if I, I... I still don't know if I processed the whole thing. It's, like, crazy what he yeah. the, brings to that. And apparently that wasn't... Uh, Apparently that was a monologue that was written or at least conceptualized by an uncredited writer whose name is escaping me right now. And Robert Shaw and Steven Spielberg didn't agree on that scene. And then like the uncredited writer came in and wrote this monologue that Robert Shaw liked. And then he adapted it further before the actual version that came into the movie. Yeah. Was Robert Shaw like a very big actor at the time? Do you know? I want to say yes. Um, he's, he's been dead for a while, so mm-hmm. I, I don't have a very good, I don't have a very It looks good like he was, nom- Shaw, but... he was nominated for an Academy Award, like, nine years before Jaws. Okay. Like, that's, like, decently, so he was, like, decently well-known, I'd say. Oh, and he um, was in, uh, he was in at least one Bond movie. Oh, there you go. Nice. But yeah, no, he, he really sold that. I think, I liked the... The patience. I, I feel like the movie was there's a lot of like the camera was pretty active and there was like a lot of well done shots. But that movie Spielberg was very or that scene Spielberg was very patient and he really let Robert Shaw like act the hell out of that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I, I think the build up for that like I, I feel like that's the only real moment where we get to see them just hang out and really bond. And obviously that's yeah. right before the climax because that's where you need that scene. Right. Um, but. Like, it's it's really cool because you see them. It's like they're annoyed with each other the whole time because they're working together. But then, you know, they take a break and, you know, you see you see the marine biologist and, and Quint, like, kind of, you know, trade. I want to say, like, old, old scar stories, you know. And I mean, they really... both have shark injuries. And so they, like, compare feet, basically, that have been bitten by sharks, which yeah. is... Like a surprisingly cute scene, all things together, uh, all, yeah, all things considered. It's a very, it's a very good moment of humanity that uh, links the characters, and that that scene is so integral to the movie too. Because that's, I think that's that's what makes the the third act so much scarier. Is that like, oh wow, I actually care, I really care about these guys now, and they mm-hmm. seem like a really good team. I want them to pull through, you know, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And I, I was kind of... Are, are we doing spoilers? 
Yeah, sure. At this point, I mean, I think we already spoiled some major stuff, but like full spoilers, actual spoilers here. I was I was really surprised Quint was the one that died, Um, and apparently it it wasn't in the script initially because they changed that at the last second. Um, But it it really felt like there was. I mean, it makes sense now. I think like that might have set the stereotype of like it's like the old the old expert has to die. I don't know why, but it reminds me of. King Kong, 2000 Peter Jackson's King Kong, where you have the Andy Circus playing the old chef that he's the only one that's been to the King Kong Island before. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that dies as well. Or he dies. I mean, a lot of people die in that movie, but he dies first, I think. And it's a really gruesome death. But it felt very inspired by Robert Shaw's performance here. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought. I, th- I thought the biologist was going to die because he was kind of overestimating the shark and stuff or underestimating the shark sometimes. But yeah. And that, that was a brutal scene too. I think I was surprised. It goes much- on for way too long. Not in a bad way, actually. Yeah. Like, I, I, it sounds like that's I'm saying <laughs> I'm criticizing. Really yeah. I, it, it actually, it's like, it's like unsettling how long it goes on for. Yeah. I think there's this, um, Apparently there's a Spielberg thing. I don't know if Spielberg invented it, but he's very good at drawing out these moments of like someone sliding towards something and he'll like cut it in a way that's like, it's always, it's like he's getting closer and closer uh, over time, but he should have landed in the mouth by now, but he hasn't yet for some reason. Um, And yeah, that's, it's a very extended scene of him slowly kind of descending into the jaws of the animal of, of the shark. And I, at first I thought it would just be like his legs and then he'd get pulled out, but no, he, <laughs> he went in fully and it's a, it's a brutal scene to watch. Yeah. And yeah, that really gets, shocked me. Fully killed. Yeah. And that really shocked me. Cause that's, I, I, I wouldn't say the movie pulls its punches before, but um, I feel like up to that point, I, I felt like the, there hadn't been any gore from the start, so I thought they would kind of pull through, um, especially with the change in tone of the movie. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was it was still really bad, <laughs> and I think it was kind of it was interesting how it's like he died, but the John Williams score is still very like whimsical. Like after he dies, when you see the the chief kind of go up to the top of the ship with like the with like the rifle. Mm-hmm. And there's still that sense of adventure after after Quint dies, and I think it works. But it just I thought it was so. It kind of reminded me that like this is still kind of a fun movie <laughs> in a way. This that's isn't... that's the only thing that I'm like of two minds on on this movie is I don't know that I love John Williams' score. I think it works for the movie, and frankly, like I don't know how it could have been different and also better, but like. If I'm imagining for a second that I am technically speaking, like just in terms of technical ability, not in terms of like writing or anything, I am able to do what the best filmmakers in the world do. And I am creating Jaws and I have John Williams at my disposal. At no point do I make this movie like a big whimsical adventure. And like, that would be a flaw on my part. That would be what makes my version of Jaws bad, actually. But like the way that the um, the way that the the score is always like so light and bouncy, except for the actual Jaws theme, 
is so strange to me because it feels at so many points like it actually wouldn't fit. And I'm not even necessarily going to say that it does at those points, like that I'm just wrong. I'm I'm not even necessarily going to say that it just does fit in those points, but like overall it works because it ends up keeping the film from ever being like super bleak. But like, it's so weird in so many of these scenes where they're, you know, they see a shark in the distance and there's this light bouncy score that feels like triumphant in the background. Yeah. It's, I I think that's what, I think it works. It's very weird to me. I personally liked it. I think it helps it stick out. And I think it's just because it feels so genuine and Spielberg-y, if that makes sense. I think he's great at making these these moments magical. And that's that's what I think what really captured kind of the the blockbuster because it, again it's it's a very dark movie but I think the reason it became a blockbuster because there is there's a certain magical element to it that really captures your childhood imagination in my mm. opinion and I think the score is part of that and I think it it works because they'll they won't always play the music you expect to hear um, yeah and. I kind of like that. It it there's I feel like scores a lot of the time they just kind of conform to whatever the movie's portraying. But some I, I think if when done right, a, a contrasting score of like what you expect can be very creative and a very creative and fun way to really spice your movie up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would definitely I would definitely say that it oh, that it for sure works. I'm not a hundred percent convinced I like it at a scene to scene level, but also (laughs) like, but like I say that specifically at a scene to scene level, because I cannot imagine how I would recommend changing it in order to actually make it better. Part of that is because I'm I'm consistently unimaginative on this show, but also (laughs) like it, it only the whole movie works in large part because of that score. Like, not exclusively. There's a lot of good stuff happening in this movie, but if that score was not as good as it is, it would the movie would be worse for it. Well, yeah, I feel like the what like what makes the movie age so well is those elements of like like what I, I part of me is just like like why Spielberg's stupid for doing this, but like like that's I think that's what because I feel like so many other filmmakers have tried to imitate Jaws or make a movie similar or inspired by it, and they they probably fall short because they are doing what kind of feels expected, you know. Like in in a moment where these three guys are going on this on this kind of crappy boat into the middle of the ocean um, to hunt a shark down, I would I would kind of expect this like bombastic like and like like trumpets blaring music of like, ah, let's hunt the shark down, you know, like epic music, you know, you know, it it surprises me that you kind of, you kind of, I don't even know what what John was, but it's like kind of these like light flute harmonies that like, that like make you feel like, like you're floating or something. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, I don't think that would work for 90% of movies, but that's, that's just who Spielberg is, you know? And that's what makes the movie work is that in, in the end, it is very 
I think like I've always struggled to find what makes Spielberg Spielberg. But I think after watching the Fablemans too, it, it, like it's kind of clicking for me, me a bit more of like, it's that heart. There, there's the way the movie makes you feel is, is what Spielberg is his style. If that makes sense. I think more than any other director, Spielberg is really, really good at both at like making movies he wants to see and making movies where just by watching you, watching them, you can see why he wants to see them. Like he made a movie about a big shark because he wanted to see a movie about a big shark. And like (laughs) watching this movie about a big shark, you can see that like, you can see what was going through his head when he imagined what a movie about a big shark might be like. Yeah, like that that was Spielberg's vision for that shark movie. And mm-hmm. no other director could do that properly. And I you know, that's what makes it unique. And it's weird. He like he made me he made me love the idea of going out to hunt a shark. Like when I saw that mo- that scene of them going out and like like that I mean that whole second half was just like I, I kind of want to do that. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> but like, he made me kind of believe that I wanted to do that. Whereas I mean, like, I've, I feel like, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I've been out on a fishing boat and I hate it. I hate <laughs> going out on fishing boats so much. They are not fun. It's a bad time. You have to wake up super early in the morning so that you yeah. can be on a boat for eight hours and do nothing. It sucks. And watching this, I'm like, that looks kind of fun. Right, yeah. I I also hate water. I hate boats in general. I I do not like the beach, but he made me want to do that. And that's, you know, when I'm watching, like, um, I was going to, like, if I'm watching The Meg or something, I'm not like, I want to be, I want to be Jason Statham underwater fighting these creatures, you know? It's like, no, I don't want that at all. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Or when I'm watching, I I guess King Kong is kind of in my mind now because of Peter Jackson, but when I'm watching, king kong peter jackson and they're stuck on that island i don't want to be on that island that's it's it's absolutely it looks absolutely terrible and not fun and not adventurous Mm. at all but but yeah like like he made me want to be on that boat and being hunted by a shark you know and uh i think i mean we're going to talk about it later with jurassic park but jackson park kind of does the same thing where it's like he kind of makes you want to be hunted down by by dinosaurs you know because there's just a certain magic to it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Jurassic Park, I, we, we will talk about it at length, but Jurassic Park, like, <clears throat> made, that fueled so many pe- kids my age and slightly older's, like, uh, excitement for dinosaurs. Even though it's a movie about a bunch of people getting hunted down and eaten by dinosaurs, it's like, that looks super cool. Probably not the getting eaten part, but, like, the part with the dinosaurs awesome yeah and i i think he he makes it work because of the heart he puts into it and um you know those connections like there's that like again that scene in the boat where they're they're bonding over you know the shark tails and stuff um it it, like they it's kind of like they became like it felt like they became a family in that moment you know like it's Mm -hmm. kind of unspoken and obviously like they aren't they aren't that close but at that moment, it just felt like, you know, they're just three guys in the middle of the ocean. They want the same thing. And they, they got each other's backs, you know, like, no matter what. I don't, and, like, I think that's one of the things that's super interesting to me is you said they're not that close. But I don't know if I fully agree. Because I think what Spielberg does really well with those relationships is he makes them all sort of, like, 
like each other and hate each other in equal measure in a way that like is uncommon. It makes them really feel like a family, like, like you said, but like, um, Quint, the shark hunter, he's like constantly berating all of them. And then like, uh, there's one scene where chief, uh, chief Martin, I guess his name, but his, but the chief like accidentally pulls the wrong rope and like, lets an oxygen canister roll away and uh, gets scolded by it for uh, scolded for it by the, um, by the Marine biologist. Cause he's like, you could have, you could have exploded the boat. That wouldn't have been a good thing. And then he goes off to like fix things and Quint like scolds him for it, scolds the chief for it. And then afterwards he's like, yeah, but like, it's fine. Just let me help you out next time. I'll, I'll give you some pointers. I know this stuff a little bit better than you do. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, there's like a, there's like those little moments that add up. I think like when I, sorry, I, when I say close, I just meant like, there's no backstory to the, their, these characters, like yeah, bond yeah. wise, you know, like they, they kind of just came together the day before they got on that boat because they were like, we need to hunt down the shark. They don't know too much about each other. They just, it's like, they all had their use on that boat, but they're not like, it's not like, 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 it's going to sound weird, but I feel like. Like the the mental movie in my head is a lot of modern movies will do. It'll be like, oh, like him and the marine biologist are on the boat, but the marine biologist is like sleeping with the chief's wife or something. (laughs) There's like some kind of personal drama, right? Yeah. To make them bond. And apparently, I just, I maybe that's there was a. I think there was a a draft where his wife was cheating on him with someone. I can't remember who, but. Um, I'm so happy they didn't add that because that would have yeah I was gonna say that would have been terrible choice. yeah that that is not what the movie needed at all um yeah no they, like they just they came on that boat and those it's those little interactions that we see them bond and become a team but they are not like like when Quint dies they're not like like there's not like a huge funeral they're all sobbing it's like it's kind of like this really bittersweet moment after where they're just like you just like I think uh the biologist is like quint like and then he just like just shakes his head and they kind of share like a sad moment but it wasn't like quit no <laughs> like it was just like that's like the truth is like they they had only really known each other for like 24 hours so what's yeah i guess what's kind of cool about it is like their relationship we see the entirety of these characters relationships on screen like they have pre-existing relationships, but we don't see those and we don't care about them. They're not important to the story. But, like, obviously Quint doesn't know the chief. The chief doesn't know the marine biologist. The marine biologist doesn't know Quint. They don't know each other until the events of this movie. So we see that entire bonding experience play out, which means that at the end, even though there's not, like, a big big dramatic moment after Quint dies, it's still, like it still works because the exact reaction that any of the other people have in this movie are basically the reaction we have because all of us, including the people in the movie have known Quint for exactly as long. And it's like, it matters. We're no, we care about this person and we don't want him to die. But like, 
it doesn't matter to the entire community the way that like Dumbledore's death matters in Harry Potter. And yeah. apologies, spoilers for the fifth Harry Potter movie, <laughs> but grow up. Everyone's had that spoiled to him since before the game, the book came out. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the, it, it reminds me of Mad Max Fury Road where that, that storytelling of the bonding is very efficient. You know, like, like you said, it's mm-hmm. kind of done through these little moments throughout the movie um, where like, like you said, Quinn was kind of looking out for, for the chief, like in that, that little moment of the biologist yelling at him, you know? Um, and it's those little moments that build up and you can't like, it's like, at first I was just like, I don't really care about any of these characters, you know? But before I knew it, I was invested in all of them. Like, mm-hmm. and it was really trippy to me. I, I think that's like, in my opinion, I think the, the first half, I mean, I'm watching the first half in the moment. Like, I didn't mind it that much. But the second half, in my opinion, is so much better than the first half. And it really ties the the movie together. Because in the first half, like, you, you kind of get, like, this half-hearted uh, story with, like, his family. And, like, I, I, is there a story? Like, it's just they're new to town, you know. It's their first well, summer there. To me, the main, like, story of the first half the the part that really connects with me is his like um his disagreement essentially with the mayor because i think there's a lot of interesting stuff there his relationship with his family exists and it's like fleshed out as much as it technically needs to be but it's not like the meat of the first half of the story it really is like yeah. him constantly going to the mayor being like there's a shark and the mayor being like doesn't matter it's go- it's cool we're fine yeah, I, I think they could have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit Spielberg <laughs> I think they could have chopped down on the first half, in my opinion. Um, it the And if they weren't to chop down on it, I think they could have been more efficient with getting us to know the chief and bond with the chief more. Because mm-hmm. in my opinion, up until they leave, all we really know about the chief is he doesn't want people to die. And that's like, that's not a unique aspect. <laughs> like It's just like, yeah. no one wants anyone to die. Um, but he's just the chief, so he's a little more responsible, right? Um, it would have been nice to see more moments with, like, his family and, like, us to get to know him. Because I yeah. think he's the only character I, that doesn't get too many moments uh, of character. But to be fair, he's the straight man and also the fish out of water, which gives him a tough role where he's learning a lot. He's basically the exposition dump person where he gets ex- exposition to the whole time. And... Uh, he's who everyone plays off of. So we can't be too wacky or weird or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. But I guess it just establishes that he's a normal family. man. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think they could have done a little more in the first half personally. Yeah. I think, um, I think that I don't mind as much that the chief doesn't have, I don't think you feel quite as much. At least I didn't. That the, that the chief doesn't have that much characterization in the first half because the first half to me is so uh, centered around that conflict between the chief, who is the clear good guy who doesn't want people to die, and the mayor who does not care because he wants... he You know, as you said earlier, it's, there's more to it than that he's greedy, but functionally, for the purpose of the movie, he's greedy. So you've got that like core conflict at the beginning. And I really like that core conflict in the first half. But the thing is, you feel it on the second half when, 
you know, the only ma- the only major character from the first half who carries up. All the characters are introduced from the second half in the first half, but like the most major character that actually carries over is the chief who in the second half, we're basically getting full re-characterizations of, any- of everyone anyway. So it yeah. feels like the chief is underserved, even though he's had the most of the movie to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's, he's essentially the audience surrogate mm-hmm. for the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I also, I feel like, I don't know if this is a, I, I just, I've, every movie I've seen in the seventies, maybe not every movie, but I feel like a lot of the times, like the first act is like really long. And I don't know if that's just what I've noticed, but like, I remember like this and star Wars, like for big blockbusters, I feel like the, I'm surprised at how patient they were in the first act. Whereas the now, like, I feel Mm. like a lot of movies just blow through the first act. Um, like instantly, right? Like it's, they're very short at the the end for the action. Not the man (laughs) really took its time. It was, it was very inspired by Jaws. (laughs) They really wanted to take their time. Um, and I'm not saying that's like a bad thing. I, I think it's just like a different, it was a different style of, uh, storytelling at the time with maybe longer attention spans um and a different way of doing it but yeah i I think if i had to change jaws that that's the only real complaint i had and it's not really a complaint it's just like the second half is so good that that in retrospect i had problems with the first half you know yeah so yeah because like even hearing you say it like i love the first half of this but it's almost like it's two different movies Mm-hmm. not yeah. fully different but like the second half is so much better than the first half which is already amazing in yeah. my opinion and I, I just can't believe they make that work too like like i didn't feel um i didn't feel any contrast of uh themes or anything honestly I, tonal there was no tonal uh conflict if that makes sense it always felt it always felt right for the movie mm-hmm. so yeah but I don't know. Yeah, it's a. I can definitely see why it. It's really a, a classic movie, you know. Um, and it being one of the first blockbusters, like I, I watch it today, and it's still a very well made movie. Oh opinion. yeah, and that's again, that's I feel like that's very rare for movies <laughs> sometimes for these older movies. So like, it reminds me of Citizen Kane, where like it, it feels like this could be made today, and it would still be well, maybe not exactly the same, but you know. It would still be very, it's still very well done. This movie, like, this movie looks amazing. <clears throat> I don't know if I mean it looks amazing for now, it looks amazing for the 70s, or what. It looks just amazing. There's so many incredible shots in this. Like, there's the one where, um, there's one scene that still sticks with me, where the chief is basically, like, he's hanging out on the beach just to make sure that nothing goes wrong. And, like, someone sees a shark fin and everyone starts panicking and the camera goes to the chief and it does a weird thing that I I don't know what the name for it is, but essentially like it shows the chief and then the entire background zooms in while he just like stays exactly in focus. I don't know what you call that yeah, because it's not really a zoom, but it is kind of. um, I think Hitch, that's also from Psycho Hitchcock, like, created that shot i think it's a dolly zoom where it's basically they they are um they're pulling the camera back like physically while zooming in on the subject if that makes sense and it creates this weird 
background effect. I think that's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, this is the part where I know that Dakota listens to all of our episodes. So this is the point where I'm going to ask him to please message me what that's called, because you know that. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, in in two to three weeks, I'll hear back from Dakota, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know. He's very creative with the shot selection. And I, I also think, I don't know if this was like a 70s thing or... But I, I notice in older movies, they're a lot more patient with, like, framing the movement of a shot, you know? I feel like a lot of movies now, they're just focused on the cuts, you know, a lot of cuts. But this was, like, a lot of the the more dialogue scenes, you would have a character move from one section to another, and the camera would kind of follow them, and you'd create, like, different different shots. Like, it'd go from, like, a long shot, and then the characters would move close to the camera, and then become a medium shot, and then kind of, like, a... It would, it would, uh, like it was, it was just a lot more, um, fluid, you know, and I, I don't, I, I miss that a lot about movies. It kind of reminds me of Citizen Kane too, or like in that movie, there was a lot of scenes where the camera would just stay still. And it was kind of more like a play where the actors would play in that frame, you know, mm-hmm. and make the most of that frame. Whereas now I just feel like directors are maybe a lot more impatient or, they need more cuts to maybe keep the audience more focused, if that makes sense. There's there's one other shot that really sticks with me, and it's not directly related to what you were saying, but what you were saying reminded me of it. It's the same scene where uh, the chief is on the beach and he's watching. And this is actually the scene where they reveal that someone is like yelling about a shark attack. Uh, he's talking to someone, someone comes up to him and just starts like talking to him about some unrelated issue that the chief clearly does not care about. And the way that they show that, the way Spielberg shows that is by giving the guy who's talking a close-up, but he's clearly superimposed in front of a shot of the whole ocean with like some swimmers in it. So... On the one hand, it's definitely a close-up of this guy. You can see everything that he's doing, and he's technically in focus. But, like, the way that the shot is designed, it's so obvious that you're not even supposed to care about this guy over in the corner. You're supposed to be focusing on the the, the ocean that is, like, not out of focus, but so much more to look at. And like, there isn't really anything happening in it. It's such a weird shot that when I saw it, I'm like, I don't think this is a shot that I would see in any movie today because it looks kind of dated, but it doesn't look bad. It looks actually like transcendently amazing because of what this shot is actually getting across. It reminded me of a specific scene in Citizen Kane uh, the scene where they're introducing they're introducing one of the stories about um, about Citizen Kane, whose name I'm forgetting right now. Uh, they're introducing Kane. Yeah, Kane. They're introducing <laughs> one of the backstories about Kane, and like it zoom it shows a close up of his friend in the old folks' home, and then behind him the like scene shifts to the flashback, and then it like fades into the flashback. It's like, this isn't a scene you would see now, but, like, it's a scene you should see now. It's so actually good that it feels dated, but also, like, it feels, like, transcendently good. That's the best word I have for it. Yeah, it's it's just very well done visual storytelling. And I, mm. I think it helps that 
uh, like Spielberg isn't like just throwing a bunch of these weird. It got like I remember watching. Did we want we reviewed Cherry right? Um, Cherry like the like Tom the Russo Holland movie? movie. Yeah, I haven't even seen it, so I'm gonna say you no. haven't. I thought we <laughs> okay. Um, I watched that movie and I remember there were just so many cool shots in the movie, but there's just so many that it just felt like they were just like, oh, look at this shot and that shot. You know, it felt like because I, I remember thinking it was like. I think the Russos are coming off of the Avengers movies where they just really had to uh, be very straightforward with their shots. And then they were going into like an auteur movie where they're like, oh, let's do these crazy shots all the time. And that really ruins the movie. Whereas like, because it just doesn't add any special moments to those shots where every shot is crazy, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas in Jaws, you know, like Spielberg, there are those very memorable shots, but they work and they are memorable because... He, he only uses them when he, like, absolutely has to, you know? Or it's a very good storytelling moment. And he's not just throwing these shots out because he's like, look what I can do, guys. Like, Yeah, and, if, uh, if every conversation was filmed like that one conversation I just described, then, like, it wouldn't mean anything. But the way that it's... But, like, just that one conversation being filmed like that makes it one of the most memorable in that movie because it's so weird and it fits the tone and the theme and like what's going on at that point in the movie. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that's, it's, it's cool that he was able to bring these very artsy elements to um, a block. I mean, (laughs) blockbusters didn't exist at the time, but you know what I mean? He brought it to a blockbuster movie and it really made it work. Um, I'd say, like, you know, if you look at a movie like Star Wars, uh, in my opinion, like, Star Wars, the special effects was on another level, right? But, like, the shot, the actual shots themselves weren't actually, like, always that creative, you know? I wouldn't say there's mm-hmm. there's some beautiful shots, but he, I don't think Lucas was ever extremely, like, active with the camera unless there were special effects there, you know? And I think there's that's something some Spielberg's very, very good at. Yeah, I would say looking back on Star Wars, there are some very impressive, there's some really impressive shots in there. But they're like impressive in the way that uh, a photo without any editing that's really good can be impressive. Like they're framed really beautifully, set up perfectly. The lighting is great. Jaws has some scenes, has some shots in it that are really impressive. And also like clearly edited in weird ways that you can't just get from filming. Like the one shot that I described is like clearly in front of a green screen and it's still an incredible shot. And it's specifically an incredible shot because of the way it's filmed in front of a green screen. Like, I don't think there's any shots in any Star Wars movie that are good because of the green screen. They might be good (laughs) and have a green screen, but they're not good yeah. <laughs> for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, and I think that just shows, uh, you know, Spielberg's skill as a director, you know. I mean, I'm not saying Lucas isn't skilled either, but they're they're skilled in different ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're friends, and I'm pretty sure they would say yeah. the same thing about each other. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I think that time period in general is just so cool. Like, I mean, we were talking about it earlier, but... Um, I, I think this was like just a very felt like a very gritty era of filmmaking, you know, mm-hmm. when a bunch of, it feels like for the first time it was like a bunch of these fucking weird kids 
got that got their hands on money and and a budget and got to make films. So and like, yeah. Oh, this is the time when Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, and George Lucas were hanging out, and the direct the people who were nominated for best director during the 1975 Oscars were Milos Forman, Federico Fellini, Stanley Kubrick, Sidney, Sidney Lumet, Lumet I, I think it's Lumet, it might be Lumet, and Robert Altman, who are like five of the greatest directors who have ever lived. So, and, and that's, and none of them are Steven Spielberg, Lucas, and Francis Ford Coppola, three of the other greatest directors who have ever lived. So like yeah. <laughs> it was a crazy time to be in movies. Yeah. I, I feel like like again, like I, I think the behind the scenes stuff is crazy just uh because of how like it, it felt like you really had to fight to get these movies made, you know. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of something that misses from movies now. And I don't know if that's just because of like the maturity of you know, the what what's it called? Like the form, the move like the filmmaking the, the filmmaking industry is just like you know, everyone kind of knows what they're doing now. Um, so you can make movies, you know, a lot more straightforwardly. But uh, I, I just, I kind of miss that grit of like, it feels like these guys were literally going out and make with a bunch of money. And they were like, they didn't know if it was going to work. They were like, I hope to God, like <laughs> I come back with some kind of finished movie. And sometimes they didn't like, I mean, you look at Star Wars and you kind of look at Apocalypse Now and probably even Jaws too, like, they, they, I feel like they come back and like they were like, I have a, sh- I have a bunch of shit that doesn't make any sense anymore. Now I need to edit this <laughs> into something that makes some kind of coherent sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of blockbusters now is just like, like there are like everything is planned out before. If you're even like five days, five days over, you're like, you're you're gonna be frowned upon, you know. I, I think that's kind of part of the filmmaking magic though is because it's, it's like, it's kind of beautiful. Like, you know, they were going out on a shark adventure in the movie, but Spielberg himself was kind of going out on this magical adventure of, can I make this movie? You know, mm-hmm. like it was his own quest. And uh, I, I think that, I feel like that adventurous element is kind of missing in movies now uh, because they're all, you know, filmed in a studio and green screen, ironically because of George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> I would say really pioneered that aspect of filmmaking, but yeah, I think it was just a time where th- those those three people were like really set the stage for the next. They were like the new generation after, like I'd say Hitchcock and Kubrick, of like mm-hmm. like we are we are the new generation of movie makers, and they really brought the industry forward. And I don't know, like I wouldn't, I don't know who would come after them, honestly. Like who have really, who's really. I, I, I'd say only Cameron maybe in like the nineties. I would say James like, Cameron and Christopher Nolan, probably. Christopher Nolan, yeah. Like they were but even like Nolan, I well, I guess we'll it's really tough to tell right now, obviously, but we'll see we'll see in twenty years how much effect Nolan has on the industry. I think you're probably it, it is probably a lot more than I think because I just feel like so many people I mean, I got into movies because of Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um and I feel like so many people in film school feel the same way, so uh we'll see in like the next 10 years or something what happens but um yeah i don't know you just it, it's just really cool to see see a man a, a young rookie yet really uh at the head of his craft you know making his mm-hmm. first big movie in jaws so yeah so 
don't know. Do you have much else to say about Jaws? Not really. It's a pretty straightforward movie, honestly. Like, there's not too much to it. But yeah. What about you? Uh, no. I think I think that's about it for Jaws. I think it's really, really good, and mm-hmm. I hope that I have communicated that over the last hour. Yeah, I yeah, I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie, but very, very well done. It's weird Great. because I think it's definitely a movie that's it's not completely free of flaws. Like it's not perfect, but also the things that I think of, the things that I can single out as things that I'm don't as as choices I don't agree with are still ones where personally I think they're probably actually good. Like I don't love the soundtrack to this movie. But on the other hand, I think that if you changed it, if it was different, if John Williams had gone in a more bleak direction than he did, I think the movie would have suffered for it, actually. So, like, I am very bad at finding what those flaws in this movie maybe are, but, like, I don't, I also don't think it's perfect. Even if it's very close. I mean, there's very few movies that I would say are perfect. Um, and also sure. sometimes those, I, even if a movie's perfect, I don't know if I, I like that always because, you know, like it means, sometimes it means that the director wasn't taking a huge risk on themselves, right? And Jaws was oh. a huge risk for Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So I can see why there are, there are problems with the movie, you know? And at least personally, when I think of a movie as perfect, the immediate next thought is what am I doing wrong that I am thinking of this movie as perfect? Like, mm-hmm. not that that movie is actually awful, but, like, if I think of a movie as perfect, then, like, you know, I, I know that not everyone else in the, on Earth is going to agree with me. And what are other people's criticisms of it? Because that feels important at that point. There's something yeah. I'm missing, and I could be right in missing that thing and, like, not evaluating. I could be right that any given movie that I think is perfect is perfect, but I'm probably mm-hmm. not. So like anytime I think anytime I would think a movie is actually perfect, I would heavily want to reevaluate that position. Yeah. This perfect is scary. It's a very scary, scary thing. Yeah. Um so, are, we, are we rating it or do you want to? Like, are we gonna we wait? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm too, I'm kinda scared to rate Jaws, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I'll, I'll say it. This is a really good movie. I'll give it like a 9 out of 10. I think, oh God. I'll give it like an 8.5, I think. That's fair. Yeah. I think, I guess, I guess what I would say is at the beginning of the, at the beginning of this episode, uh, you failed to give your favorite Steven Spielberg movie. Oh. Uh, Oh, wait, no, you didn't fully fail. You, you gave a couple, but I would say like against other Spielberg movies, and we haven't obviously gone through all of them, so we don't have like a, concrete ranking necessarily where would you put this so like you know top five top 10 top 30 what would you think roughly i think i like this more than catch me if you can i think catch me if you can is like a perfect movie but like i said before it's like i don't think it was a huge like risk you know um and so i think jaws is better i think this is kind of tied with temple of doom Maybe no, maybe a little better than Temple of Doom. This and Jurassic Park are very similar, very close. I'm not gonna lie. Um, yeah, I I think, especially 
I, I, I'm, I'm very biased. I think everyone is towards movies that, that end very well. And this had, again, it, it ended very, very well. So uh, it's going to be, it's very looked at very fondly in my memory. But I, I think, well, we're talking about it later, but I think Jurassic Park kind of takes a lot of what I had issues with in this movie and kind of perfects it in a way. So I'd almost say Jurassic Park is like the perfect form of Jaws. In, in a sense, but yeah. Yeah, I uh, I mean, my answer is not going to be nearly as exciting. I would, you know, put it in the top five Spielbergs probably, and that's just kind of all I have to say. That's like, fair. I So this is going to be, uh, you know, here's a little teaser for the next episode. I have not seen Jurassic Park, so I can't judge this against Jurassic Park yet, but I would like to, <laughs> and so we're going to be able to do that soon. Yeah. Wait, have you still not seen it? I'm going to watch it today. Oh, I thought you had seen it already. I thought maybe. <laughs> okay, cool. I was, I had a busy day yesterday, so I didn't get yeah. around to it. No, no. I was just like, I was wondering why you were being so mysterious about your opinion of Jurassic Park. And now I feel bad that I, I was talking about it, and you're like, I don't know what to say. I am, I'm reasonably certain that I have seen all of Jurassic Park in snippets. Yeah. Like, on TV at various times. I'm going to actually fully watch Jurassic Park later today. Yeah, so makes sense. I am excited. Oh, I, I I'm excited for you to see it too. It'll be interesting. All right. Yeah. What's our uh, What's our last word, Pierre? Chum. <laughs>